good. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, about a year ago, uh, city staff reviewed with the council some of the, uh, the, the trending that was going on with response times, uh, construction, and how that was impacting our uh, public safety services on the north side of Palm Desert. Uh, so we were asked to go ahead and start moving on the, getting a, uh, a plan together, retaining an architect uh, to start and work with the county to sort of work on a memorandum of understanding and a design for what that North Spear fire station would look like. Uh, later in, in tonight's, uh, in the later uh, regular work set, or, uh, council meeting, you're going to have an item there to retain a, an architect to actually commit the design, but we have had enough high-level study planning here and uh, budget analysis that we wanted to take a, uh, a pause and share that with the council. So what we've got today is uh, Chief Beverlin and, and Randy Bowman will go over uh, sort of what the station would look like, the need for the station, uh, and the cost estimates that we're currently looking at. We do have the construction cost of the station sort of handled. We've set, started setting that money aside a year ago in, in anticipation of this conversation. There's been a couple of uh, new developments uh, since we last met with you. One of them was the resolution of a, of a contract for our CAL FIRE employees, which uh, did have some impact on the, uh, the operations and maintenance budget in the years out. And we've also been able to layer in what it was going to cost us to run this fourth fire station after Riverside County's uh, contributions. So that's necessitated a policy discussion on the finance side as well that we need to have with you today to get some uh, thoughts and direction, or at least some thoughts. Uh, so at this point, I'd like to kick it over, off to, uh, to Randy and Chief Beverlin to give you the uh, first part of the presentation. Then Veronica will lead you through the, uh, the fun part uh, at the end. Good afternoon, Mayor, members of City Council. Randy Bowman with the Department of Public Works. It's actually the first time I've presented since uh, we've occupied the new chambers. Uh, uh, the agenda uh, for the presentation today will give a short recap of uh, what brought us uh, to, this, to this meeting today, uh, and then uh, discuss about the activities, development activities in the North Sphere and, and fire service uh, 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 fire runs. And then uh, we're gonna talk about the fire station project, the scope, the schedule, the budget. And then as the city manager said, uh, uh, our director of finance will discuss uh, operations uh, budgets. So uh, the Matrix uh, Consulting Group was uh, hired by the city uh, in 2021 to conduct a study of fire services. Uh, the results of that study were presented to the council on Valentine's Day uh, last year. And uh, uh, a key finding uh, for this presentation is uh, the, the report recommended to uh, construct a fourth fire station in the North Sphere, generally at the, near the intersection of Gerald Ford Drive and uh, Frank Sinatra Drive. So I'm gonna turn this over to uh, Chief Beverlin to discuss uh, uh, some of those aspects of the, of the study. Good afternoon, Mayor, Council Members. Uh, so basically what you see on this slide is just some of the challenges that we're experiencing and, and anticipate that some of those challenges will um, begin to increase in years moving forward. So um, the, the map that you have in front of you basically is a map that shows the, where the, the fire station will be there. It's labeled uh, UNIV and that's the, uh, the location of where the new fire station might be. That green undercolor that's that's around that area is the four minute drive time uh, from fire station. Uh, we've been numbered at 102. 
Um, and so what you see is that uh, that's the four minute drive time. The red dots indicate uh, actual incidents from uh, 2021. And so as what you see there is that inside the city limits, you have um, 1,164 calls inside the city and then the blue dots are the ones that are in the county area. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Does Rivco have its own medic, and that's why it says engine only? So uh, the the county has a contract with a private ambulance okay. company that handles the county area. Yes, yes, ma'am. So um, out of that station, as you can see, in 2021, there would have been uh, 1,400 calls that would have been run out of that station. Currently, that whole area is served by the closest fire station, which is 71. So as you can see, the drive time from fire station 71 into the green area, um, it's probably adds roughly an additional two minutes, depending on average where the call might be. So that's part of our increased response time problem that we're having. Uh, the other part of the response time uh, component that we're having is concurrent calls in the city. And if you remember in the matrix report, it talked about concurrent calls. And what that means is, is that 38% of the time in the city, there's two or more incidents happening at the same time. So um, based on the drive time, the increased drive time, and the amount of uh, incidents that are going on at the same time, we're relying on mutual aid from outside the city to, to take care of our incidents that were um, in excess of what we're able to care for. So as you can see, Fire Station 69 in Rancher Mirage, Fire Station 81 in Bermuda Dunes, Fire Station 55 in Indian Wells, and then underneath the, the key to the map is uh, Fire Station 50 in, in Rancho Mirage there. So all of those, uh, all of those um, pieces of equipment roll into the city quite a bit to make sure that, um, that we can handle all the calls that we need to handle. And uh, the last part of the component, as we know, is uh, a lot of growth that's going to be happening, is happening, and will continue to happen in the North Spear. And I'll turn it back over to Randy to talk a little bit more about that. Can I ask a quick question? In yes, regards to the blue dots that are in the unincorporated area, I imagine that's being served by the Thousand Palm Station? Uh, so uh, currently, it, 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 it probably would. Um, 81 would probably take some of that, and then um, the number for the station, 1,000, is uh, 35. And it's just a matter of which unit is closer. Um, that's the one that will go. And do they ever serve in the Palm Desert boundaries? Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. And, and so the, reason, the reason why on this map specifically it shows the, the county area is due to the, the cost-sharing measure that we're going to go into a memorandum of understanding with the county and the city to protect both sides and share costs with that. Gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, uh, the chief talked about increasing development. Uh, we put together this slide to illustrate uh, the growth that is occurring in the North Sphere. Uh, the, the green, the red, and the blue represent uh, project sites for either commercial or residential that are in some phase of, of development. They've either been approved and are awaiting permits or they're under review by the city, maybe even an entitlement process, or they're already under construction 
I think the numbers uh, uh, speak uh, for themselves. Uh, we're, we're seeing a 22% increase in commercial in the North Sphere area and over 300% increase in residential dwelling units uh, in that area. So where? Uh, the city has owned uh, the site highlighted in yellow uh, since 2014. It's a former Sarda property that is owned by the city. Uh, it's also located within the service, the electric service area uh, for the uh, Imperial um, Irrigation District, IID. And during the, uh, the course of the, since last we were before the, the council, we learned that IID has some capacity constraints on electric service. Uh, but for this project, uh, for the fire station project, uh, they have uh, committed to serving uh, the project with, with uh, their, their service. So that will not interfere with the construction. And generally speaking, the, the site is located off of Gerald Ford Drive. Across the street somewhat is the uh, Spanish Walk uh, development for reference. Uh, Randy, uh, in terms of IID capacity efficiency, are they uh, using solar panels? Because I heard that that's what they're doing to help make up for the lack of uh, Capacity? Yes, uh, we, uh, uh, IID asked the city uh, to consider solar as part of the fire station project, uh, and we will be doing that. Thank you. I, I would probably clarify that to, uh, um, it, it was more than an ask. Um, in, in, yeah, order yeah. To, in order to receive the will serve letter, they required the city to build in solar onto this building. So um, they, don't have the capacity, they don't have the capacity to service um, this particular area of Palm Desert. And, in order for us to get them to agree to provide it, um, they initially wanted battery storage and solar, but they backed off it. But we've agreed to uh, solar in order to get this site moving forward. So it, it was more than a request, it was a requirement. Thank you, sir. So the project scope uh, for the fire station, we'll have an illustration on a later slide. Uh, but it's essentially three apparatus bays uh, and dorms for, for 12 fire employees. Uh, the square footage, a little over 9,700 square feet for the, the construction project that we're proposing. Uh, and uh, yet the, the building would be built to be uh, expanded in the future. So stub out conduits, uh, have electrical service box on site that's big enough for the ultimate size. Uh, uh, right now it could be another uh, a fourth bay uh, and additional dorm space uh, for additional employees. You'll see that on the, on the slide. Uh, in addition to uh, the contract designing this new fire station, we also want to get ahead of ourselves and uh, assess the conditions of fire stations 33 and 71 for uh, improvements that we need to make to keep them in service uh, and to inform budget making uh, in, in future uh, years of the capital improvement budget. And then I'd also like to mention that while we are uh, b before you today with the study session and at the council meeting for the design contract award, we're also uh, procuring the construction manager for the project. The construction manager will be on board for the duration of design and construction. They'll be advising us along the way on constructability, reality checking the architect, uh, reality checking cost estimates because costs continue to rise and fluctuate. And of course, we would want them present on the site during construction to uh, be the eyes and ears of the, of the city to watch to make sure that we end up with a quality facility. Uh, in addition to the building and the site improvements like the parking, uh, et cetera, 
there's also offsite improvements that will be necessary to be constructed for the fire station. Uh, and essentially it's widening of Gerald Ford to two lanes uh, from um, Frank Sinatra north uh, past the, uh, the fire station location to the west. Uh, and it'll include a traffic signal uh, and a median cut uh, to make sure that fire has a safe ingress and egress uh, to the site. There's presently a median there. And we're coordinating uh, the location of the access point with the access point that was already uh, approved by the city for the Spanish Walk uh, development. So speaking of graphics, uh, so here is a concept of a potential layout. Uh, uh, we have an architect that's been assisting us during this conceptualizing phase to get us to a design contract. Uh, and uh, this concept is based on um, typical fire stations that are, that are in construction or have been recently constructed in, in Riverside County. On the left-hand side, in the tan area, those are the, the apparatus bays, the three apparatus bays. And then the other colors, the orange, the blue, the yellow, those are the staff areas, kitchens, uh, and dorms, and workout room, et cetera. The grayed out areas represent what could be the expansion to the building in the future. The final footprint, of course, will be determined during design uh, at, with uh, input from uh, various commissions, this council, uh, and, uh, and through, the, through the design process. So schedule, uh, it's gonna take a year uh, to design uh, an improvement such as this, that's, that's typical for a fire station and about a year, a little over a year, to, to actually build the fire station. So uh, should council uh, award the design contract tonight, uh, we will begin the design effort, uh, and we're including you know, efforts for CEQA analysis, of course, we play the role of a developer with this project, uh, and, and the entitlement process, so various boards, commissions, et cetera, will be engaged uh, during, during the process. Uh, and, um, and of course, as I said, the construction manager will uh, uh, that we want to hire will also be assisting us in reality checking the designer along the way. Highlighting that schedule, uh, tonight at the city council meeting we have the design contract award. Uh, coming up next month, uh, we wanna bring before you the award of the construction management contract. Uh, then uh, after that, uh, we want to bring forward to you the contract award for the design of the offsite improvements. Uh, we expect uh, about a year from now to be bidding out uh, the project and then completion in, uh, later on in 2025. And then money. So uh, the project uh, is currently estimated to be uh, approximately 23.4 million. There's a typo on the slide. Uh, the, uh, uh, the numbers need to add up, uh, uh, right, uh, finance director? So, uh, the number up top on the left, the 15 million plus, that number goes down because uh, when we initially put the slide together, we had an estimated cost for design. Well, we know what that design could be based on the design award recommendation tonight. So uh, we estimated about a million dollars for design and it came in under budget and you'll, you have that in your, your packet for tonight. Uh, so design cost, construction, uh, an allowance for should the city want a premium enhancements for the fenestration, for landscaping, for screening, those things to make it a, a Palm Desert worthy building. Um, construction management and inspection, soft costs, furniture, fixtures, equipment, et cetera. 
Uh, and then also we broke out the, the expected cost, anticipated cost for the offsite improvements. And then balancing that off with the, uh, on the left-hand side, uh, the funding sources. May we pause to give thanks uh, to our city manager and our staff and our mayor at the time, uh, Jan Harnick, for exacting uh, two and a half million as an arena contribution. Thank you. Last I had on this slide, um, because we're seeing fluctuations in the construction market, uh, we've added uh, inflation and contingency to these dollars uh, to um, uh, protect the, the, the budget amounts that we're expecting for the project. If you uh, have any questions, uh, uh, we can answer those now, or I can turn this over to our Director of Finance. My question is, uh, earlier you mentioned that um, there would be support from the County of Riverside um, to support the fire station. Is that something that will be an ongoing cost, or is that just in the initial support? So we, we have a, a, a memorandum of understanding on basically the, the construction and the cost sharing of staffing for the fire engine. Um, and that is that would be ongoing. And then part of that is based upon a formula that we've both agreed to, um, which basically uh, looks at that, that map at current time. And we will reevaluate every year to kind of see you know, how many calls are in the county area, how many calls are in the, the city area, and if anything gets out of whack or those percentages change, then the, that funding mechanism we can um, discuss and see how we would um, want to break the cost down even further. Um, but that's basically the ongoing cost part of it is the staffing part, and that's, that's currently how the uh, memorandum of understanding has been drafted at this point. Thank you very much. One last thing to add, um, I'd be remiss in uh, not introducing our project manager for the project who worked very hard uh, to put together these slides. Uh, I'd like to introduce Lucero Leva. Uh, she's our newest project manager in the Department of Public Works. Thank you. And uh, to quickly clarify my prior thanks, uh, the reason we are so grateful for that uh, arena contribution is that it's clear the arena is producing impacts, demands uh, on our entire public safety structure. Uh, so it's an exceedingly important contribution to cover impacts. Any other Questions before we steam ahead? Okay. Okay, so we'll jump into the ongoing cost that we were just referenced. Um, originally, when Todd asked us to take a look at the operations, we did this um, and looked at our traditional cost. The city traditionally transfers about $4 million to cover fire services. The resources we have for fire don't exactly cover all of the costs. Um, by adding the station 102 incrementally over time, you can see on this slide that by the time we get to 28-29, we're at a $9.5 um, transfer in from general fund to fire services. Um, at the time, that was um, 
a number that seemed um, difficult to cover. Um, but following that, um, we had a meeting with Chief Breverlin and his team, and they apprised us of the um, labor negotiations with the state and the um, issues that would be coming with that. And so we took another stab at it. The chief and I went through and looked at the numbers. The changes they have not only change the dollar amounts as far as labor costs and benefits, but also um, the structure of how the staffing is done. And so it's an immediate effect to um, fire services. So as you can see, we have a revised number for 22-23 based on that, and um, that number will be coming to you for a mid-year adjustment, obviously. Um, but as far as carrying it out to Station 102, um, it exacerbates that deficit out in 28-29 to about $16.7 million. Um, and that is taken into account um, a conservative growth in revenue, um, a conservative growth in expenditures, um, but it does show an incremental growth over time to that $16.7 million number. Um, what that does not consider is that if we fully engage um, the cost that we have for the fire truck that would be housed at Station 102, that potentially could be an additional $3.5 million, and that's just based on what it costs us to have the one at 33 right now. Um, so I didn't feel comfortable adding that to this, this um, uh, calculation, but I just wanted to note that. I have a pretty basic question. What if you could go back to the last slide, what is the fire tax that shows up on our property tax? Which is that? Uh, the $60 fee is the Prop A fire tax. It is. Yes. Okay, so I'm looking at it. It really doesn't grow very much, and yet we had talked previously about a 308% increase in residential units. Right. And it doesn't, is that, is that, is that what the first assumption is there, or... It doesn't so from a financial aspect, as far as projecting out, it's uncomfortable to um, assume that that growth is going to be there. So okay. I try to flatten it out and just do a constant growth over the time period. Um, but if I knew exactly when they were coming in and I could count on it, I could include that. I just took a more conservative approach with that. Okay. There are no other questions. The next step was to kind of see what that would do to, you know, our uh, revenues and expenditures and the reserve as it stands. And so what we did was we tried to take a look at um, if we even maximized um, the reserve, um, what impact that would have. And after the 28-29, um, we still show a deficit with growth in revenues. Um, so that means the revenue sources that we currently have are not sufficient to cover the growth that we are going to see from fire. So the next step is, what can we do? So we looked at various sources that we could potentially um, reach out and, you know, create additional revenues um, for the city. Um, the first one we looked at is, what if we double Prop A fire tax? And by doubling that, um, it does require a two-thirds approval, um, but by doubling it, we would probably get anywhere from two to three million dollars. When you're looking at 16.7, that does not cover what you need, um, and it's also the burden is carried predominant. It's carried by the homeowners, um, so we thought that wasn't the best idea. Then we moved on to what if we increase transient occupancy tax one percent? 
um, in doing that, we um, would only receive about $2 million extra. And again, that does not cover the need. Um, and it would put us in the higher um, level of what TOT is charged throughout the Valley. Um, we then took a look at increasing sales tax and doing a general district tax. Um, that change would require um, a majority vote. Um, and the district tax of 1% would generate $26.1 million per year. That's the estimate we received from our sales tax consultant. Um, the one um, restriction to um, a district tax is that any local jurisdiction that has authority within Palm Desert can come in and assess a district tax. So if we are not basically the first, we are left which, with what is left of that 2%. So if the county came in and decided to apply a district tax within Palm Desert, we're left with a residual. So um, that's a consideration in that. Um, it does reach the revenue um, that we need. Um, we also looked at creating a service. Could, could yes. you go over that again? Yes. That's new to me. So. Uh, go a little slower so I can absorb it. What is the applicable district? So the district would be the city of Palm Desert. And within the city of Palm Desert, either the city or the county or the state essentially could come in and assess what they call a district tax. The max district tax is 2%. And so collectively, we can't have more than 2% district tax. So if we are not basically the first out, we're left with the residual. So if there is a need, a greater need later, we could be stuck and be in the position where it doesn't meet the need that we have. Does that help? Uh, yes, it helps immensely. Okay. This is powerful new information for me. So the study session has earned its name. The other thing we talked about was potentially a services CFD, and what that would do is when developers came in, it would be basically a requirement of um, development um, pre-entitlement, um, and they would basically elect in that they would be willing to cover the cost of um, services in their area, and so we would have to create a list of projects or programs that would be included in that cost. Um, I asked our consultant for a rough estimate. He came up with about $5 million would be generated from that potentially. Um, I do need to do more research into that to get a better number, but he didn't think it would be any higher than that. Um, the district would have to be joined as a condition of development and potentially could deter development that is desired. And so we thought that that potentially did not meet the needs. Um, the last one that we looked at is um, the utility users tax, and that's one that we currently do not have. Um, it's a majority vote. Um, UUTs throughout the state are generally between 15 and 20 percent, and um, a 15 percent UUT for the city would generate approximately $10 million, um, and the UUTs have a sunset clause. So they're five years long, and after five years, if it hasn't met the need, you have to go back out and get it approved again and ask for an extension. Um, the issue with that is it is covered, um, the burden is carried by the residents, 
And when I tried to look at other cities that were of our same size that had UUTs at 15%, it was generally about a $30 per month charge to each resident. Um, they do have a, um, most of them have a um, clause that says you can't assess it to affordable housing. And so it does create a greater need for those that aren't. More questions. Okay, we say the UUT, a 15% of? Uh, revenue. From utilities? Yes. So what they, so 15% of your current revenue is what they're saying is the max that you could request, up to 20%. That's what is palatable, basically. And so um, you would generate that off of an assessment that is applied on their utility bills and it adds um, an increase to their utilities basically on a monthly basis. Okay, so what utilities would be included in that? We would have to determine that. Okay, so it could be one or all. Correct. I see. And does that include a business property owner as well? Or is it any utility except for someone who might be a resident of low-income housing? That is a good question. What I read was mostly residents, but I would have to look into that more. Thank you. Can you clarify the approval rating in 22? Is that a focus group? Is that a study? Is that compared to other cities? How did we um, determine that? That is overall in 20, I believe it's 2022. I have that slide coming up so we can um, look at those. But thank yes, you. Thank you for asking that. I do have one question. Yes. Course, Sorry. If you repeated that, Immediately after everyone opened their most recent cash bill, mm -hmm. <laughs> you might get a different result. Exactly. Mr. Truby. Oh, thank you. Um, the CFD, it says it may generate an additional $5 million annually or in annually. total based on the amount of developable land. Okay. Annually. Got so it. it's a services CAD, so it, CFD, so it's applied annually. Yes. But once we're built out as a city, that disappears because right. there's no more developable land. Got it. Okay. Right. It's my understanding that it stays on on the uh, homeowner's tax bill for 25 to 30 years. So and it does deter uh, development, and it makes housing more unaffordable right. in our housing crisis. So there's actually two types of CFDs. One CFD is intended for infrastructure when developers come in and they ask for assistance. That one has a 25 to 30 year because it usually has a bond associated with it. A services CFD is in perpetuity. So they would be assessed this fee as long as they own the home because they are, they are agreeing to cover their services of police, fire, whatever we list on the project list for the time that they own their home. Got it. So we're talking about homeowners, not the developers. Ultimately. Got it. Okay. Any other questions? So this is just a slide to show the difference between the general um, tax and the special tax. Um, I've had these questions in the past and I actually had to do a deep dive myself because I got confused really quickly. Um, for a general tax, those monies can go into the general fund, can be used for any um, government purpose and they're not restricted. Um, they require a majority vote and um, they can be issued by county, cities, um, special districts. Um, there's a whole full open range of what they can do. For a special tax, they have a specific person, per person purpose. Um, they have um, typically a sunset. 
and um, you have to have a majority, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one, you have to have a two-thirds vote, and um, they have a list of things that they can cover, um, and they are usually for a finite period of time. So this was just a slide to show you the various rates that are currently within the Coachella Valley for TOT. Obviously, 11%, we're at the lower rates. Um, adding additional um, percentage there would kick us up into the higher rates. I have a qu question. Coachella has no hotels, so is that just STRs? Possibly. I just looked to see I mean, what their rate one, was. So. Okay. They have it on there for future use, maybe? So this is um, an estimate that was provided by our sales tax consultant, and I asked them to do a deep, deep dive, let me know exactly what the difference would be between a quarter percent increase all the way up to 1%, and um, the quarter percent most likely would generate about 6.5 million all the way up to 26.1 for a full 1% um, increase or district tax. Right now, throughout the valley, there are um, five cities that have district tax. Most of them are the 1% increase. Palm Springs is the highest in the state um, with the 9.25%. Um, and then the thing to consider, you know, when we talk about 26 million versus 16 is that we have all these other projects that are vying for those same dollars. Once we're over, they too will need support. So I just wanted to keep that, you know, fresh in our minds. Um, so that's why those are listed there. So the other thing I asked our sales tax consultant to look at was, you know, how, how does the approval rating change based on the different rates that we potentially could assess? And um, what they show here is that anywhere between a quarter and 1%, the passage rate really doesn't fluctuate too much. It's when you get up over 1% that it starts to decrease and you see more failure rates with that. And so these were the most recent that they had, they had um, yeah. for 2020. Uh, a, a group, a couple years ago, and this was right before COVID, we had done a lot of work about a tax measure. And what we found over and over again, a penny doesn't make any difference from a half a penny. Right. You just go for the penny. Yeah. There you go. And... I think that was all I had there. The one thing that we did note is that um, getting out early and educating the community and letting them know showed a difference in how they were approved. Um, also, um, making things completely transparent so they could see the need and use of the funds. And so that's something that um, we are considering and the reason why we're bringing this to you early. If you have any other questions, yes. Uh, okay. so. An excellent presentation. Thank you. Very thorough. Um, the sales tax increase here is measured in dollars, but I, I'm assuming we're talking about percentage points. Um, just so I'm clear. Uh, and in what increments can they be? I think we might have covered it, but quarter, quarter. quarter points. So you can do anywhere between quarter point sales tax increase. And is the same true of TOT? Is that, in other words, can we choose to do a quarter point or a half point? So the TOT is at your discretion? The sales tax is dictated by the state. And this may be obvious, but is it possible to do a blend? You know, both. Like a, 
half a percent sales tax and a half a percent POT. That's at the council's discretion, yes. Perfect. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah, the big takeaway for me, which is new, is that the county or the state could increase the sales tax for closing us from doing so and for closing us from reaping the benefit. Uh, that, to my way of thinking, is a big extra consideration. So. And if I may, just so I'm clear on that, um, when we talked about that, it's basically the first entity to get in has first dibs. And uh, out of the 2% max that's allowed, two percentage points. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And my comment would be I'm surprised the state or the county hasn't already done it. <laughs> how, does, how does Measure A play into this? So Measure A has its own funding source. They get 0.5% of the 7.75. So they do get already their apportionment from the, the sales tax we charge currently. That's how it's funded. And that was, that was voter approved, and I thought it was one cent. Uh, I'll have to pull it. I, I believe now you have me questioning myself. No, the local jurisdiction gets 1%, the state gets 6%, Measure A gets half a percent, and then um, there's quarter percent to somebody, and I can't think of who it is. <laughs> I'll get it. And I know it's returned to where it is generated, and maybe that, that other increment that you're speaking of goes to a central point to. Um, It'll come to me. Okay. Actually, I do have a question for Chief Beverlin, if I may. Um, we talked about this a little bit in the public safety uh, committee meeting yesterday, commission, beg your pardon, uh, meeting yesterday, that Palm Desert right now as it stands with three stations is a net user of mutual aid calls, not a net provider. Um, we, we call on the, the station near Sun City or Rancho Mirage or whatever have you. Um, is that a sustainable model? In other words, I know it seems a kind of fait accompli we're going to build this thing, but um, is it, has it drawn, is it detrimental to the service we're providing? Um, that we're calling on other stations to come in and help the city? Or is that a sustainable model we could carry on for the next five, 10 years? So I, th I think that, uh, you know, it, it's hard to look at the, the totality of the, the system in, in, its, in its whole entirety. So it's 96 stations, 100 uh, pieces of equipment throughout the county. So when we look just kind of at the, the generalized area and what we would call Division One, where Rancho Mirage, Indian Wells, Palm Desert, Desert Hot Springs are all, all, all part of that. Um, so when we look at the system, we make sure the system is functioning and when there's a call on Palm Desert, we have pieces of equipment that are coming in from other areas to um, backfill so that everybody is covered. Um, and as we escalate, as uh, you know, earlier, um, Last year, we had a couple of different times where we had three alarm fires in the city. Obviously, the city of Palm Desert, with their partners of Rancho Mirage and Indian Wells, can't cover all of those pieces of equipment. So we're bringing in equipment from everywhere, Palm Springs, Cathedral City, Morongo. Um, so those larger calls, those are look, looked at from the system in whole. What we're looking about and talking about today is the draw on um, the Palm Desert units 
and then the immediate adjacent stations, and that would be Rancho Mirage, Indian Wells, and some of the county stations. And so we all provide mutual aid to each other at a high volume because we're kind of um, unique in that we work well so well together. Um, but in Palm Desert's case, we're about 5,500 um, mutual aid um, coming into the city um, versus providing that much going out. So. That, that's about how many units come in to the city more than they give out. Out of a total call volume of how many per year, just to give it some scale? Um, I think for the total volume of calls, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of, um, for Palm Desert, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 32,000 um, mutual aids received and then uh, 5,500 less given. Just to, just to add to Chief Beverland's response as well, we, we are already exceeding our response time uh, desires. Um, I want to thank Chief. Uh, we, we tortured him the last year <laughs> um, looking at numerous scenarios, uh, superstation of combining potentially 71, which is the one at Country Club, and Portola with the new station, trying to figure out if there's a, an economy of scale. And we were unable to sort of reach a conclusion that helped our response time. In fact, many of those scenarios worsened it. Uh, so I think we, we were led to the conclusion that this is probably the right decision. We've got another 7,000 housing units, dwelling units that have been planned for that north uh, part of Palm Desert. Roughly a quarter to a third of them are under construction uh, right now. And so it was one of those things, All the, both the response time as well as the, um, I guess, in-migration of a um, the importation anyway of that service from the other communities is going to continue to get worse. And so those were the analyses that we went through. Uh, Chief Beverlin, what is uh, the city's average response time and how does that compare to, is there a state average to put it in perspective? So uh, over the last five years, uh, our average response time is four minutes and 28 seconds. Um, Riverside County Fire Department um, in, in, in this environment, what we would call an urban environment, um, we would like that response time to be four minutes or less, and that's um, a national standard that is set forth by the National Fire Protection Association. Um, and you can find that information, it's also included in the matrix report. Um, uh, comparatively speaking, we'll, we'll choose Indian Wells. Uh, Indian Wells had a 3.99 average response time over the last five years, which is within the acceptable realm of the four-minute response time. Um, you know, ultimately, the, the city gets to choose what the response times are and look like, but that is the nationally recognized standard from the NFPA. If I could quickly clarify, I made a mistake. So it's 6% to the state, 1% to the local jurisdiction, a quarter percent to um, transportation, and the half a percent or the half goes to the public safety fund. Great. Does that conclude this topic? Yes, it does. And we have a second topic uh, brought to us by our city clerk. Good afternoon, City Council. Uh, I'm Anthony Mejia, City Clerk for the City of Palm Desert. Happy to be here and present to you on the roles of the City Council. 
Uh, we're going to begin with the role of the mayor and the presiding officer of the city council. Uh, it is to uh, one of the first steps is to explain to the public how the meeting will be conducted, uh, determining based on the agenda a schedule for breaks. Uh, to uh, reasonably limit time for public comment, especially if you do have a lot of public comment, uh, you just want to ensure that you're uh, applying that uniformly and usually at the beginning of the public comment period. Uh, to state the questions coming before City Council, typically the agenda description. Uh, to decide all orders or decisions, I'm sorry, to decide all questions of order. Uh, and typically offers commentary after all of the other council members have had an opportunity to speak. Uh, the, the mayor may move second and vote on all motions. However, typically uh, there's a uh, search for anybody else to make that motion. Uh, to announce all decisions on, on all subjects, uh, typically the results of the uh, vote, and to preserve order and decorum at the meeting if there was a disruption to adjourn, or not, sorry, uh, to recess the meeting and to address the disruption. Other duties include signing of the ordinances and other documents approved by the City Council, uh, with the Mayor Pro Tem to approve the issuance of proclamations and recognitions, and to represent the City of Palm Desert at ceremonial events. Quick question. Yes, ma'am. Um, historically, I think the clerk has announced the result of votes. Correct. Th that is also typical for the, the clerk to announce the votes. Okay. Uh, when it comes to the role of the mayor pro tem, in the absence of the mayor, the mayor pro tem will serve as the presiding officer at city council meetings, also serves on the subcommittee with the mayor to review the proclamations and other recognitions and serves on a subcommittee uh, with the mayor to uh, review matters of interest with the city manager. I, I want to take a pause to just see if there are any other norms, formal or informal, expected of the mayor or mayor pro tem, and that's really an opportunity for the council to weigh in. Seeing, so, seeing none, I'm going to move on. Uh, when it comes to the proprietary of conduct, propriety of conduct for city council, I just wanted to note that in the municipal code, it does say that members of the city council must preserve order and decorum and shall not by conversation or otherwise delay or interrupt the proceedings of the council in any way, nor disturb any other member of the council while speaking, nor refuse to obey the, the orders of the council or presiding officer, except as provided in the uh, procedures. When it comes to the role of a council member, the best practices include let me, representing and work, represent and work for the common good of the city, to refrain from taking action where there may be a conflict of interest, to provide unbiased, fair, and equal treatment to all persons and matters, work with city staff prior to the meetings on questions for clarification, to limit distractions and provide your undivided attention at public hearings and quasi-judicial proceedings and to refrain from abusive attacks, conduct, personal charges upon others. When it comes to the role of the City Council Liaison, uh, this is uh, from the Municipal Code, and the City Council Liaison facilitates communication between the City Council and the advisory body. A City Council member liaison is not a member or advocate of the advisory body and does not give direction or influence decisions, but can assist and provide information to that um, Appointed body, I'm sorry. 
Uh, and then when it comes to attending meetings as a member of the public, I just wanted to make sure that everybody's aware that when attending a city meeting as a member of the public, such as a commission or community input meeting, where there are already two other council members attending in an official capacity, the third council member should not communicate in any fashion, verbal or nonverbal, with the other council members, except under limited circumstances, and it's recommended that you check with the city attorney uh, for more guidance in those situations. And again, I'm going to pause and see if there's any comments uh, related to the norms, formal or informal, for members of the council or the liaisons. And with that, that concludes my presentation. Uh, let me just explicitly invite our newer council members to vocalize if there's anything in there that struck you differently from uh, your expectations or experiences. None. I think it, everything is rather concise and uh, well delineated. Agreed. Thank you. Uh, so uh, does that conclude everything intended for study session? Yes, we're concluded until the uh, closed session. And because of the notice, I presume we do need to come back at 3.30 to commence closed session. Yes, Madam Mayor. And should we come back here first? We should come back here to open the meeting, yes. Excellent. Yes. Thank you.